Boker Tov, good morning everyone. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. Glad you're with me this morning, Baruch Hashem. Uh, we are in the third Aliyah of Parashah Vayera. And uh, hope everybody is doing well, Baruch Hashem, as we're studying the, the Torah. The third Aliyah begins in uh, chapter 19. And this is where we get into the story of Sodom uh, and Gomorrah. The second Aliyah ended with uh, Avraham pleading with Hashem on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, which teaches us a very valuable lesson with respect to our <coughs> um, uh, need uh, to be merciful and kind uh, and to plead with God uh, you know, to uh, try to find a way uh, to save people who, in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, do not seemingly deserve salvation. We think about that, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to think about people in those terms. They don't deserve this, they don't deserve that, or whatever. Whether we're talking about religious issues or we're talking about mercy from the court or what have you. And I would... Um, I would suggest that we really try to refrain from doing that, that we really keep the understanding um, that we, uh, we, none of us deserve anything. And so we have to be careful uh, that we uh, refrain from um, condemning people. They deserve this. They should get that. They did this. They should go to hell because they don't believe or whatever. Or, uh, or they should, uh, you know, be condemned. Now, sometimes, you know, people do have to receive judgments or, or for whatever it is they do, whether it's spiritual violation of spiritual laws or it's violation of, you know, natural law. You know, somebody robs a bank. They're going to have to pay a, a criminal price for that, for instance. But I want us to check our hearts and um, want to suggest to us that, that we should be reticent to, to want to proclaim those types of judgments on anybody. We should take a lesson from the Jewish court. Uh, there is a myth, a myth uh, that that Judaism uh, was very heavy-handed, that is very legalistic, and that the court system of Judaism just couldn't wait to punish people, uh, as especially with the death penalty. We just, as Jews, we just love to kill people uh, for even the most minuscule seeming uh, violation of God's holy law. But as it turns out, that's not really the case at all. That the judges uh, seem to go out of their way to not condemn people, to find a way to restore them, to find a way to admonish them, yes, uh, rebuke them, if you will, severely, uh, but otherwise not to condemn them, not to punish them, okay? If it were possible. In fact, there is many comments that the uh, the judges of the court uh, 
were reluctant to find themselves uh, in a place um, where they had to pronounce a judgment upon somebody. Uh, in fact, there's a comment to this effect in Mayam Loez's commentary to the book of Proverbs, in which he says that basically one should avoid uh, you know, being, being the, the cause of someone's punishment whether they you're the one who decrees the punishment or by some measure you're the one who's who is responsible in some way this is what it means by the way when we go to bed at night and we think about our day and we say in our hearts and our minds with the with the uh, bedtime shmal let no man be punished because of me and what's the purpose behind this? It really goes back to the theme of what I'm talking about here. What's the reason why the sages felt that way? What is the reason why the judges had that mentality? And the answer is simply this, that we all deserve punishment. How can we decree punishment on somebody? Now, again, I want to emphasize, sometimes we have to because it's right and proper. As I said, somebody robs a bank. We're going to have to, to decree, de if we're members of a jury or whatever, we have to pronounce upon them uh, a, a punishment. We have to decide if they're guilty or innocent depending upon the evidence and so on. And I would also just stress that we should really refrain in any situation, please hear me on this because it's so prevalent in our, our modern times with all of the... Um, all the newscasts that we have, which, you know, unfortunately in America, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you all know this already, not to get too political, but it's true. You just you just can't trust, trust the news. Unfortunately, in, in America, it's become a propaganda um, item, a propaganda tool. It, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's true. Uh, you just can't trust the news. And I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not, I don't wear a tinfoil hat. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, but uh, I digress. But the point is, is we should really refrain from making any judgments in any of these kinds of things unless we are part of the, um, you know, the proceedings. So we can see everything. Sometimes it may be obvious. You know, you got to, they have a video of the guy robbing the bank. And they have his license plate number and his driver's license number because he dropped it as he was leaving or something like that. But even still, we should be, we should say, hey, you know, uh, until I see all the facts, I can't make a determination. I'm not asking us to, uh, you know, leave our minds at the door. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is we have to be cautious. But going back to this theme is Abraham knew this. This is why he pleaded for Sodom. Who's Abraham? Abraham doesn't look at himself and say, well, I deserved to be God's friend. I deserved to be saved. These people don't. Abraham didn't think like that. Abraham understood that we're all ultimately saved by grace, which is very much a Jewish belief. And so we have to be careful that we don't, we don't want to be the ones who say, yeah, yeah, God, get them. Why? Well, because ultimately we deserve to be gotten as well. And uh, how can we pronounce judgment on somebody that we're guilty of 
similar situations. That's the point. It's really the point. It's for the it's it's the the idea is to have mercy, to have grace, to to say, hey, I don't want to be involved uh, in the in the judgment. Why not? Because uh, I've done some things too. How can I condemn somebody else? Uh, this is why the the court system in the, in the United States uh, is supposed to uh, lean in favor of the accused. This is the whole reason. Now, some people might suggest or, or say, "Well, well, how do you reconcile that, Rabbi, with the fact that the the court was so ready to condemn Yeshua, and they said, crucify, 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 crucify.'" Well, that's an easy answer because historically, that 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 court was not really. I mean, it was, but not really a Jewish court, meaning that it was completely corrupted. Caiaphas was appointed by the Roman governor. We're not even sure he was a legitimate high priest. Maybe he was in terms of being from the, um, well, he wasn't legitimate in terms of Torah law, but perhaps he was, what I'm trying to say is perhaps he was a member of the house of Aaron a son of Aaron. Well, maybe he wasn't. We really don't know because uh, his his office was completely bought and paid for by the Roman government. Moreover, according to Jewish law, it is completely illegal to have a court hearing at night. 100% invalid, according to Jewish law. And yet, his trial was at night. Also, a a court hearing outside the temple grounds, outside the chamber of Hewn Stone, is also 100% illegitimate, according to Jewish law. And yet, we learn that the hearing of Yeshua happened at night at Caiaphas' house. Now, homes back in the first century were tiny. Even if you were wealthy, they were small compared to the homes we have today. The Sanhedrin is supposed to be 71 judges. Okay, the, 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 the priest, the high priest being the 71st uh, presiding judge. Now, if you're going to condemn a elder, you can never condemn an elder, by the way, on, on the merit of one witness. This person said this happened. You can never crucify an elder based on that. They, there has to be at least at least two witnesses, and they have to be verified. Uh, but also, when it comes to an elder, you, you can't condemn an elder, and Yeshua certainly is an elder. He's, he's in fact, he's a sage. I mean, that's, that's a, he's a prophet. Everybody accepts that. Even today, everybody accepts that Yeshua, even if they don't believe that he was the divine Messiah, which he is, must be his name, Everybody agrees that he was a, a prophet, okay? That's really kind of undeniable. So it's a prophet, a sage, an elder, but even according to Jewish law, you can't do that. You cannot condemn him for with less than 71 judges. Now, I don't know this for sure. I'm not, I, I can't say uh, for sure one way or the other, but I've been to Israel a lot and I can tell you that those ancient homes, there's no way you can get 71 judges in there. So if Caiaphas is holding court at night, I'm going to suggest 
as a strong possibility that all 71 judges weren't there. Not to mention the fact that there were some judges who actually favored Yeshua. One of them we know for sure was Nicodemus. I'm going to suggest it's possible that Nicodemus wasn't even there, which means that the court was missing a judge. Nicodemus is mentioned, by the way, in the Talmud. Uh, all this to say that that whole scenario was a farce. So you can't look at that. In fact, the Talmud tells us that any Sanhedrin that would issue the death penalty once in seven years was considered a bloodthirsty Sanhedrin. That was how limited the executions occurred in Judaism. All this to bring us back to Sodom and Gomorrah to tell us what was the heart of Abraham and what should be our heart as we're looking at people. And as we're looking at people, we need to consider ourselves. God, give us mercy. God, forgive us. Okay? So we look at a, a, an insight. I'm going I'm to go back a little bit because this is just as great insight. I'm going to go back a little bit to look at chapter 18 and verse 19. And well, actually, let me back up here. Yeah, this is 19. Okay, it says here, Hashem explains to us, he explains to the other two angels. Now, I said yesterday that it was Hashem and two angels, and a lot of Jewish commentaries will say that it actually it was three angels and Hashem. Uh, and I understand, I mean, when you read the Torah, it can seem to imply that, but again, you have to read the entire story. Because um, it makes it clear in the Torah that Hashem has shown up with two angels. But I do understand how you could say, well, it, it appears there were three angels and then, then there was Hashem. But in fact, when it comes to the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that, that the men, that is the angels, went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Abraham stood, continued to stand in front of Hashem. Well, then you could read that and say, well, it says the men, that could be three angels. Okay, fine. Well, when we get to chapter 19, it makes it clear that there, there were two angels, i.e. men, who went to Sodom and Gomorrah. So we backtrack and we learn that, in fact, it was Hashem and two angels that visited with Abraham. The, the only reason this is a problem is because in traditional Judaism, it's been kind of taught that Hashem can never manifest. Um, but we what we find in the Zohar, we find in the Talmud, we find in the Midrash Shabbat, where there's many times that Hashem manifests in the form of a man. One of the most prominent times is when he showed up to show Moses how to pray the 13 attributes, and he had, and the in the Midrash tells us that Hashem appeared in the in the form of a Hazan uh, with his talit and his uh, tefillin, and uh, he taught he showed. Moses, how to daven. Uh, so somebody asked if the third, somebody asked yesterday if the third angel was Memtet. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I would, I would say yes, uh, that was Memtet. So anyway, uh, looking at this, Hashem tells us why he favors Avraham. And this is, of course, instructive for all of us. It says, for I've loved him. Why? Because he commands his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of Adonai. 
doing charity and justice in order that Hashem might then bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. So, first of all, we see here that uh, the reason that God loves Abraham is because Abraham is... uh, is going to teach his children to content to to pursue the, these paths this path okay and we also see here that this path is ultimately charity and justice now this is important because a lot of people think that Sodom was destroyed because of of the sexual sin that was going on there. And I have no doubt that that was a large part of it. But the sages bring down that really Sodom's problem, the reason that they were ultimately destroyed, is because of their lack of hospitality. Which to us may seem strange, because we have a tendency to say, well, I'm a pretty good good old boy. I mean, uh, I'm not very hospitable. I am not very charitable. I don't really like to have, to open my home to guests and so on. It's not really my deal. Um, I'd rather not. But, at least I'm not a homosexual. Uh, Turns out that actually not being hospitable is considered worse than the uh, sexual sin. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Why is that the case, I wonder? Well, it's because God tells us that we, we ourselves are sojourners in foreign lands, beginning with Egypt, and therefore for us to turn a blind eye to the sojourner among us, um is the ultimate insult because here we are trying to be, you know, praying to God that we have a hospitality and yet at the same time, we're not being hospitable. But anyway, let's look at another, there's an Orthodox commentary. This is the um, call of the Torah. And I want to use this commentary here because call of the Torah is by Rabbi Monk. Rabbi Monk is a straight line Uh, Orthodox rabbi, and yet he uses the word apostle here. And I love to point out, it's my favorite thing to uh, point out, that there's nothing new in the New Testament. And I love to point out that, uh, you know, some people say, um, well, let me skip that. Let me skip that. Let me... Let me retract that statement. Let me just stick with my train of thought here. It says here, for I loved him. Now, the word, the the phrase, for I loved him in Hebrew is ki yadativ. Yadativ. When you say, when you want to say, I know something in Hebrew, like, hey, uh, the Cowboys, uh, you know, won the football game and you say I I I there. Like that means I know. Hey, you know, where's my car keys? I need loyalda. I don't know. So the word here, ki yadativ, 
is translated for I have loved him, but it, it literally means because I know, I've known him. I know him. Okay? Yada. Yodea. I know him. And so this is translated as love. It goes on to say, one who loves another brings him near in order to know him better. And why is God fond of him? Because he commands his children that they keep the way of Hashem. So God loves him in as much as he knows Abraham. He knows Abraham's heart and soul. And Abraham is enjoining us to love God by helping us to know God. This is also brings up an interesting point because what we see here is that people want to love God, but they don't want to keep his commandments. But as a matter of fact, that's the best way to come to not to lo- love someone. We, we love those people best that we know the best. Isn't that so? The people that are our close friends, our relatives, we love them so much because we know them. We're a part of their life. We, we know their likes and dislikes. And so the more that we keep God's word, the more we come to know him. So it says here, um, the knowledge of God and his law was kept in Abraham's time by certain people such as Shem and Noah and even his great uh, grandson Eber, who had the gift of prophecy. They taught their knowledge and traditions in the base of Hamidrash, that's the house of study, which bore their names. But they did not have the persuasive power to convince their contemporaries and to cause the divine light to shine upon humanity. Now, it goes on to say, only Abraham attained the role of an apostle of truth. Again, I want to remind you that I am uh, reading an orthodox commentary here. Abraham was an apostle of truth. What's an apostle? As I've said numerous times before, but at the risk of repeating myself, um, many people think that an apostle is a rank. You start out being a, a pastor, then you become a bishop, then you become, what, an archbishop or something? I always like the title cardinal. I always thought that cardinal was a great title. I wish it was a Jewish title. I'd like to be called cardinal. I'm sorry, I dozed off there for a moment. Um, <laughs> I'm just half kidding. But seriously, uh, and a lot of people think that you go on from there to be an apostle. An apostle is somehow some type of uh, overarching, uh, you know, rank system, rank structure. It's really, it's not at all. The word apostle means uh, someone who's sent out on a mission. In Judaism, we saw, we call this a shliach. So here... Rabbi Monk is saying, Abraham is simply a shliach, uh, shliach amet, a shliach ha-amet. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a shliach of the truth. He's an apostle of truth. Okay? So it says here, um, wh- whose influence on the minds of others was strong enough to leave a definite imprint on their lives. This is what we can hope for, ladies and gentlemen. We, we may not always be able to um, 
bring somebody immediately into the covenant. We may not always be able to have somebody say, you know what, I want to adopt this way of life. I'm ready to, you know, move forward. But what we can pray for is that somehow through our um, proper words and proper deeds, that we can somehow make a definite imprint on the lives of others. A lot of times it's referred to as planting seed, that Hashem can use that in the future to bring them to faith. So it says, um, Hence the Torah emphasizes the patriarch's accomplishments in his mission as teacher, starting with his own children and family, to be deserving of the love which God lavished upon him. The mission which brings in the family, uh, begins in the family home and henceforth spreads uh, ever-widening circles to men of all extractions appears here as being the foundation of Judaism. Another insight here talking about this concept of hospitality. So the angels go down... Um, to Sodom and Gomorrah, after uh, after Abraham pleads with God, it says in chapter 19, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now Lot saw and stood up to meet them, and he bowed face to the ground, and he said, Behold, now my lords, turn about, please, to your servant's house. Spend the night and wash your feet, then wake up early and go your way. And they said, No, rather we'll spend the night in the square. He urged them very much, so they turned toward him and came to the house. He made a feast for them and baked matzot, and they ate. Now, they, you know, Lot learned something from his uh, uncle, Abraham, and invited these people to come to uh, stay with him. Did he know they were angels or not? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think so, but perhaps. So it says in the commentaries here, oh, it goes on to say, let me, let, me, let me continue reading so I get to this verse. They had not yet laid down when the townspeople, Sodomites, converged upon the house from young to old, all the people from every quarter. So this is a great many people, young to old. So the, the problem of Sodom affected seemingly everybody. So it says here, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Of course, this is implying a, um, a, uh, a desire for uh, sexual immorality. So it says here, the Sodomites converged on the house. It says, The next pr uh, presence, the text, pr excuse me, presents the striking contrast between two diametrically opposed mentalities. This is the morals of Israel and the morals of Sodom. So please play, pay close attention to this because a lot of times what we think is critically important in God's eyes actually isn't quite as critically important as we think. And other things that we think are kind of like, ah, that's all right. Actually, God thinks that's really important, and we ought to pay attention to it. And I mentioned about hospitality. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because they refused to be charitable and generous. 
I need you, ladies and gentlemen, to please understand this point. Because again, you know, for instance, many people think that, you know, idolatry, adultery, murder, those are really bad things. And if you commit those things, then you're just, you're done. Put a fork in you, you're done. Well, first of all, no one's ever done, okay, until you're dead, all right? Until then, you're not done. You, have, you can make chupa. Are those three sins bad? Yeah, they are. But you know what's even worse? It's even worse. It's all three combined. Do you know what that is? Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara. Evil speech, gossip, tail-bearing. Did you, did you hear what so-and-so did? Can you believe that? Oh, you know, you know she's guilty. You know she did that. You know, you know what she deserves? Da, 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 da. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of us have done that. Now, but a lot of times we don't think, ah, oh, you know, I, I, I have a problem with gossip and, you know, I, I need to work on that. Of course, we all say that. I say that. But what we're really saying, we don't think about it. Here's what we're really saying. You know, I have a problem with murder. I just keep killing everybody. I'm not sure why I keep murdering people. I really need to work on that. I really need to stop murdering people. I really need to stop being an adulterer. I really need to stop being, you know, an, an idolater. You know what? I'm really in a, I have a real problem with idolatry. I'm just, every day, I just, I'm, I'm involved in idol, idol worship. I really need to work on that. That's what we're really saying when we're talking about Lashon Hara. But we don't think about it that way. We think about it, to be quite honest, hey, I know I got a problem with the Shanhara, but at least I'm not an idolater. I've never committed adultery. Uh, never killed anybody. As it turns out, we do it every day. It's really bad. Now, don't go jump off a cliff, but what I'm trying to tell us is that this is why we have to have the right spirit. And there's a mystical aspect of hospitality that tends to help us overcome these things. Because when we open up our hearts and we open up our doors and we open up our gener generosity, it helps us to understand that we're nothing and that other people, frankly, are more important than we are. And therefore, it helps us to be people who... It will help us to overcome Lashon Hara. For instance, the Rebbe Zin wrote that um, the issues of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were pride and arrogance. Being generous, generous, it's really difficult to be prideful and arrogant when you're so generous. It's, it's not impossible, but it's more challenging. It's a lot easier to be prideful and arrogant when you are stingy. So let's look at this last insight. We'll, we'll wrap it up with this. There's more we could say, but, but we'll, we have time. We'll get to some stuff here. But let's look at this one thing. It says here, on one hand, savage and, and, and cruel hatred brought the men of Sodom to refuse to welcome the men who came that evening within the walls of the city. They didn't want to welcome them. They wanted to abuse them. 
On the other hand, a house, the house of Lot, was open to all who were in distress, and a hand was always prepared to work, welcome in and to assist, you know, you could say the strays or whatever. The quality of generous hospitality, listen to this, and this is where we'll end it. The quality of generous hospitality is the most prominent feature of the heritage of Abraham. Greed and egoism will always be the obvious sign of a detachment from the great principles of Judaism. It is by his goodness of heart and his practice of charity that you will recognize the worthy descendant of the patriarchs. Now, everything is in balance, and I want to I want to make sure and make this statement because th- I'm not suggesting that you open your home up to strangers; they can come live with you. That's usually a terrible idea, and I've never ever seen it work out well. So don't do that. Okay, especially in this day and age. Now, somebody needs to spend the night or two you know, uh, because they're in town visiting or, or, you know, what, uh, sure. Open up your house and be, be Betty Crocker. Somebody wants to come live with you for like an undetermined amount of time because they're in bad straits. I would highly discourage that. Okay. It's, and it's an, it's an unfortunate reality. So please hear the rabbi's counsel on that. It never works out good. You end up having to evict them almost every time. Um, now, and so having said that, you you don't want to be taken advantage of, okay? So you have to have balance, but here's the thing. You also need to be generous and understand that, listen, giving people, giving away things, giving them hospitality, food and drink and whatever, Is God not able to repay? Is God not able to repay? Feed my lambs. He didn't say, go create the food. He just said, take the food and give it to them. The quality of generous hospitality is the most prominent feature of the heritage of Abraham. Ladies and gentlemen, the sages put... And Abraham and Sarah put a huge premium on hospitality and generosity. And what am I trying to say to you today is that a lot of times we don't. We just think it's like, eh, it's a, it's a, it's a bother. But God says, when you close your doors and you close your hand, that to me is worse than the sin of sodomy. Because I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah not because of their, their sexual sin, as everybody erroneously thinks. I destroyed them because they closed their doors and closed their hands. Think good and it will be good. Todah Rabah for all of you being here today. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a blessing to be with you. Open your hearts. Open your hands. May God help us to be generous and kind. Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. With God's help, Bezrat Hashem, for the fourth Aliyah. Shalom Aleichem.